0: Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to give a shout out to some of the amazing new reviews we have gotten. If you leave us a review for this podcast, I will shout you out because reviews help this podcast so, 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 so much. So if you love the podcast, leave a review. And it means a lot to us. The Undercover Witch Project, uh, Bruja, Oh oh I I know hello hi I've seen you on all the social media groups and now I'm reading your review. You said if you are a person who is interested in feminine power and magic this is the show for you that is just uh, my highest honor. Archiekins 666 okay said make Yasser a recurring guest you guys. I can't I have to protect my relationship but uh yeah he was such a good guest. Uh, I just might have gone and married him. Andy GW said the best. How does this hilarious, warm, and basically my therapist woman make me care about random female celebrities? (laughs) Okay, I am scared for you if I am your therapist, but also honored. And like, I will totally give you advice. ISPMD said have to join the Patreon. I've been enjoying this podcast so very much and just realized I've been freeloading. (laughs) Oh my God, I love you. Thank you. Your support really, really means a lot. Thank you guys so much for these reviews. We are an independent podcast and your reviews like, uh, you know, really make us feel like a, a big lady podcast. So thank you so much and please keep them coming. And I'm going to give you a shout out if you do. super big announcement. I am hosting a show called The Glamorous Trash Party in honor of Glamorous Trash, the newsletter I send out. It's going to be glamorously trashy. It is half stand-up comedians, half drag queens. I'm hosting it. It's December 1st, which is a Thursday. It is live in Los Angeles if you want to get a ticket in person. It is also going to be live streamed, and we are selling tickets for that. I am going to do drag for the first time in... Oh my gosh, maybe five years. And and I'm so excited about this. The woman who taught me drag, my drag mom, is going to perform. She's coming back to LA to launch this show because it is a special show celebrating the fact that Celebrity Book Club has been listened to over four million times. I truly, truly cannot believe that. But when our producer Kate told me that she said, have you looked at the numbers? I said, no. She said, did you know it's 4 million? I said, we should throw a party. So we are doing the show. And then afterwards it is a celebrity book club sponsored party. If you come to the party, you're going to get super cool gift bags. We have a piano bar where you can request songs and sing them to the piano. We have a photo booth. We have a ton of stuff in, on top of the show. We have, I think we have custom cookies coming for you. It's a lot. It's super cool. We are really celebrating hard and most importantly all the proceeds are going to go to futures without violence and the mariposa fund in new mexico futures without violence help women live free of domestic abuse and the mariposa fund helps women seek abortion care care and health care who really need it and they're in new mexico which is um, a state where that still provides abortion access and is in a central location to a lot of states that no longer provide that so it's a really great place to donate to so buy a ticket if you want to support come see us live come see us on the stream and um it's gonna go to a really great cause and what four million times okay let's celebrate december 1st the links in the show notes now let's get to the episode Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, filmmaker. Sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this is a podcast where we recap and celebrate the memoirs of female celebrities. Except this week we have an exception, you guys. We have a mensmoire on our hand. Yes, that's right. I know we could be saying memoir, but I'm going with mensmoir and We have a men's more on our hands because this exception deserves to be made. Normally, I love covering female celebrity memoirs because I just don't feel like women's stories in all their juicy detail get told enough. And from their own point of view, from the woman's narration of her own life, that is normally why I stick to women's books, but also because... They really, on the whole, are the better ones. Like, I don't know if you have <laughs> this experience, but sometimes Yasser, um, my husband, oh my gosh, sometimes Yasser, my husband, will come home with a juicy piece of goss and he'll tell it to me and I'll be like, oh my God, h- and how? Or like, how did that happen? And what'd they say? And he'd be like, I don't know that part. I, I just know the headline. And I'm like, oh, I want the details. And that's what I feel about men's usually, that they're lacking, they're lacking something. I get a little bored reading them, but- I got to tell you, this one, it did deliver. This is a juicy, juicy book on our hands. We are covering Matthew Perry's memoir titled Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, published recently, like a month ago, 2022, November, hot off the presses. Now, I, there's a lot to be said about this book that we are going to say, but what I will give it is that it delivered on the juice. It was, it was very fun to read. We had so much to say, but this book, it brings you a lot. And it left me asking one question really just over and over again, which was, where was the book editor? <laughs> Who let him write this? Now, before I bring our guests on, I just want to say that Matthew Perry's book uh, talks a lot about addiction and relapse and recovery. And, you know, I, I am not an expert in this field, but from what I've read online and heard from other people i've I've taken it in that a lot of the things said in this book were questionable maybe not so great for the recovery community. And what we talk about on the podcast, we just have a candid conversation between friends. We're laughing, we're making jokes. So this is not an episode to take your recovery information from. I'm not sure the book is what you should take recovery information from. So Just take this as a fun conversation, and if you do know a lot about sobriety, addiction, recovery, and this episode makes you want to, um, you have a good point that you want to make or you feel like something was missed, go to the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast on Facebook. You can also um, start conversations in the comments of my Instagram. I'll always post something about the episode, just like go to that episode post, and on the Patreon, on our episodes, you can go back and forth. So if you just DM me or leave a review, then the conversation's just between us, but go to the forum say something there and that way like all the cookies can get involved and it's really the beauty of this podcast it keeps it book clubbing you know it's like we're all discussing okay so now that that's out of the way i just want you to know that like this could be a triggering episode if you do deal with issues of sobriety or have someone in your family who dealt with something like that this book may bring up a lot of stuff for you so beware before entering the episode there's a beautiful woman at eight nine ten (laughs) o'clock Hello.
1: She's amazing. She makes the women I dream about look like short, fat bald men. Well,
0: go over to her. She's
2: not with anyone. Oh, yeah, right. And what would my
0: opening line be? Excuse me. (laughs) Come on, she's a person. You can do it. Oh, please. Could she be more out of my league? Okay, we are diving into his memoir today with not one, but two guests because it is two very special people in my life who both were like, I have to do this book. <laughs> so today we are going to be talking to Ashley Nicole Black and Jenny Connor. Hi, you guys. Hi. Okay, I'm going to give your guys bios before we jump in. Ashley Nicole Black is a comedian, actress, writer, and producer. She's written for everything, you guys. Ted Lasso, The Amber Ruffin Show, A Black Lady Sketch Show, which she also starred in. Some new stuff that I can't tell you about. It's a secret. It's super cool. But I know because I'm her best friend. She also wrote on, Bless This. Mess on abc we shared an office and she's been nominated for nine emmy awards and won some too this it's this is i don't know how i know you <laughs> she was also in full frontal with samantha b and i i'm gonna say your biggest credit today is that she did the jessica simpson episode That's on true. this podcast that was the very first episode we launched i, I think i
1: hear You're i been- need to mention that ashley has um won nine more emmys than matthew perry
0: i feel like Ooh, I it's sad. To truly kill time. him yeah. but jenny beautiful intro into you jenny is behind all your favorite shows hbo's girls single drunk female camping the next thing we're bringing you uh-oh did i just get the scoop on deadline uh, i did and just as ashley has been on this podcast before so has jenny connor uh we did an iconic episode about an iconic woman we did the sharon stone episode which is one of my favorites um So if you guys want to hear the origin stories of how I met these two women, you have to go listen to the first episode of the podcast that they did. But since you guys have both been on, I have a different question for you, which is, when the Matthew Perry book was announced like seven months ago... Both of you DM'd me and said, Dibs, I must, I must do this book. And you're both so important to me. It was like a Sophie's Choice. I was like, no, no, no. Then you're both coming on. So what made this a book that you guys had to cover? Uh, When I was a kid, maybe we've
2: talked about this on this podcast before. We weren't allowed to watch TV. And um, I was like obsessed with friends. Everyone in my junior high was so obsessed with friends that like, I think it came on Thursday night. All day Friday, all anyone would do is like the Chandler bit from Friends the day before. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I can't have conversations at school unless you let me watch Friends. And I thought he was so great. And then he just kind of dropped off. And I wasn't aware of what happened in between. So I was like, I got to read this book. I got to find out where Chandler went.
0: Wow. Okay, well then I cannot wait for your take. <laughs> um, Jenny, what made this a book that you had to do um i
1: am a matthew perry scholar i'm a friends scholar i have several degrees um you will probably be alarmingly wowed by my knowledge (laughs) 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 like i don't want to make you guys look bad i
0: i I'm ready. I have to say, so Jenny was like, dibs, I'm doing this. And then, you know, Jenny's in the middle of shooting a show right now. And so I was like, oh, Jenny, I know you can't do this. She was like, no, I'm making this. <laughs> this is my moment. So I believe it. Okay, I believe it. Um, Okay, so let's dive in. Let's start with, there's just so much to say. Um, Let's start with a foreword by Lisa Kudrow. Here's how, this is what I wrote. A masterclass in how to say something without saying mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking like maybe she's like the nicest of all the friends who felt maybe she had to do this. No, you I guys think, think that
1: he thinks of her as the smartest of all the friends.
0: Oh, That's what I and think. do you think she is like, we are good friends. I want to do the forward to your book. I think
1: I'm guessing that they're all like, we're as good friends as we can be with him. No, I mean, if they're protecting themselves at all which I hope they are because I of every single one of them <laughs> and don't know any of them. Uh, but if they're protecting themselves, they probably stepped back a long time ago, would be my guess.
0: I see. Okay, because in, in, in her foreword, she's basically like, here's what Matthew Perry has been up to. You could have asked me how he was doing. I would have no idea. I really don't know anything about him, but um, I hear that he's getting better and I'm really happy for him. And I was like, I what? I didn't get the
2: vibe that that was like a dig. I got the vibe that she hadn't read the book. That, like They asked her to do a forward oh. to a book she had not read, and she was like, I don't know what this is going to confess to in this book. Let me just say, I hope he's good.
1: <laughs> I think I think she went to Al-Anon and has good boundaries.
0: I hope so. Okay. I like that take better because, obviously, uh, madly in love yes. with her. Okay, so he jumps into the book. I thought the first page, knowing he doesn't have a ghostwriter, I was like, this is a good first page. It, it's quippy. It's fast. It has a hook at the end. Does he compare his colon exploding to being worse than childbirth? <laughs> even though he's not a woman, sure. <laughs> but it was a zippy page, and I was like, I, I, I did not get a red flag until page two when he said, "My assistant slash best friend." Oh, and then I said, "Oh." <laughs> uh Oh, you cannot have someone on payroll who is also your very best friend who in the also world. lives with him. Um, who also lives with him, who he importantly said is a lesbian, which is important because then he can't sleep with her, which felt very 90s to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, you missed a lot of things that happened between the end of Friends and now, and one of them is just how women exist in the world
0: now. I I love to say, that, and this was like a hard part for me the whole time, it, and we'll get into it specifically, but it felt pretty clear that he does not respect or it, like women outside of sex vessels. At all. It's wild. <laughs>
2: okay,
1: I need yeah. to start with I... I am going to be the Matthew Perry apologist.
0: <laughs> well, I hope you're ready with a thousand more apologies because I'm going to come I at you with so, so many, many specifics. I have so many. Do <laughs> well,
1: you want to start with, I don't have a Woody Allen one. Like that oh, was like- Okay,
0: good. Because that one that is was coming. crazy.
2: He like leaned well, in so I hard. The first time was crazy, but then at the end, when he has Woody Allen in the same sentence as Barack Obama, <laughs> people, he's grateful I mean, he just like, it's, it's <laughs> as if someone said don't,
1: say Woody Allen. And he was like, I am doubling (laughs) down."
0: Yeah, now I'm doubling my Woody Allen references. Well, let me just read this in. So this is sort of at the end of the first chapter, a paragraph I want to read. As I've said... For the entire stay in those hospitals, I was never left alone, not once. So there is light in the darkness. It's there. You just have to look hard to find it. After five very long months, I was released. I was told that within the year, everything inside me would heal enough so that I could have a second surgery to reverse the colostomy bag. But for now, we packed my overnight bags, five months of overnights, and we made the voyage home. Also, I'm Batman." So I have a couple things to say. So one, he starts with the book, his pancreas explodes. And he's told he has a 2% chance to live. And this is all because he has intense, intense, intense addiction with alcohol and many drugs. And so he's kind of talking about this time. But here's what I'll say. When he said, also, I'm Batman, I wrote, oh, that's how Chandler speaks. Mm -hmm. For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to call out every Batman reference. And here's what I'm going to (laughs) say. When I became head writer of of Jocelyn's show, I told my writers there's one rule. You cannot write a Batman joke because I have spent my life in the trenches with Im- nerdy improv boys making 19 Batman jokes a day, and the amount this man put Batman in his book, I was like, I feel like he's personally here to trigger me. Do you guys? What did it? I don't know.
1: Can you explain to me what that joke? Means? Like, I didn't even notice yeah, the like- references because I'm just like, what is Batman? Who's? I mean, obviously, I know who Batman is,
2: but I don't. Think- yeah. So, in prep for this podcast, I watched. So, GQ does this thing where it's like 10 items I can't live without, and people show like the lip gloss they like, or you know, whatever. Of his 10 items, eight of them were Batman memorabilia. Like, this is a legitimate, he legitimately feels that he is Batman because he's rich and lonely like Batman.
0: Yes. Yes. And like,
1: Batman's lonely. I feel like he always seems does. like he fucks a lot. I I didn't yeah. know Batman was
0: lonely. <laughs> Batman <I> mean, fucks. <laughs> Batman definitely fucks. But I think what
1: like big stars he fucks.
0: <laughs> what really pisses me off though is that Batman, classically, classically an yes! orphan, okay? Both their parents is killed. Batman has to raise himself. A major theme in this book over and over and over again is that Matthew Perry tells you, I am an unaccompanied minor. I almost titled it my book. I was constantly left alone. I never had any parents. And then he would write, my dad called me every Sunday. My mom came over every day. I don't think he knows what being abandoned by your family is like, but is sure he has that been. you just read
2: the five months where he was never left alone for a day because his parents were in the hospital. His mother, who lives, yeah, in both Canada, of them divorced. came to LA to be in the hospital. Yes. With him. That was like
1: 25 years later, guys. That was like 25 years later, and I'm sure they both felt a lot of guilt because. I'm sure he talked to them about their failures, parents, so much as he went through this therapy.
0: I truly, and here's the thing, I, it's like, you, you can't judge what is traumatic to someone. It was clearly very traumatic to him, but like, his his dad leaves him, um, his mom becomes a, a superwoman.
2: Pierre Trudeau is the prime minister of Canada, and Matthew Perry's mom is his press secretary.
1: So, <laughs> and he didn't so- he beat
2: up Justin Trudeau? Didn't he say that? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, he's like, I beat up you guys. I did. So I did my homework before this podcast. Okay. So in the book, okay, he says he beat up Justin Trudeau. This week he went on Colbert and Colbert mentioned it and he said, "Yeah, someone started a rumor that I beat up Justin Trudeau."
0: <laughs> oh. Wait. That- <laughs> But he didn't but put it in the book. Yeah, and also who started the rumor? You wrote it down in a book. You? Oh my god! <laughs> Guys, he's got nothing That's, left. Yeah, he's, got, he's running on hands. Uh, I Definitely, I thought the choice to write a book was like I'm ready now. I want to talk about my life with addiction, and I want to help people. But by the end of it, I was like, "You're trying to get your screenplays made, and you <laughs> thought the book might give you some buzz." That's where I ended.
1: I think it was very, very genuine. The book. I just think, and I think he really wants to help people. And it, it was, you know, I'm making a show now about someone getting sober, and I mean, I can't. I haven't heard an account like this in my life. Like he saw God. And then he didn't get sober. <laughs> like, <laughs> he like wh- what? Like, he just cannot stay sober. Like, imagine you see God. Like, is there more of an indication that, like, You're, it's yeah. time to change?
0: <laughs> and he did. And he has... He has so many of those moments. No, it's so crazy. Going back to the beginning, he wrote, because I was sent alone on planes, I always have to have a mansion with a view.
1: He didn't say a mansion with a view. He said, like, a view. And then it just turned into all mansions because he got so rich. (laughs) Which I will say, like, my
2: favorite. I, I did wish the book had more jokes, which is a silly thing to say about a book about addiction, but it's Matthew Perry. But my favorite line in the book, which was so self-aware, is like in that first chapter, he talks about he's trying to go to the hospital because, as it turns out, his colon has exploded. And his assistant can't figure out how to turn on the car to drive him to the hospital. And he's like, the reason she couldn't is because the car turned on by verbally telling it to turn on because I was on Friends. And it's like so <laughs> funny and so that self-aware. Was yeah. And you're like, I wish that that was I wish he also applied that self awareness to that. I have to have a mansion with a view.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That That's a good point. And I, the one thing I will say about the mansions, and actually, I think my favorite part of this book, please feel free to disagree with me, is the price tags. Yes. This man lists the price of every <laughs> single thing he does in his life. And I, oh, and how I much money he, he made. would be like,
1: and how much money oh my he God, spent he- on getting
0: sober. It's so insane. Oh, but every single price tag is in there. This is how much the house was. I made $1 million an episode this year. I made you know $1 million a week this year. I spent $200,000 on a private plane today. And you're like, ah! I love it. I love it. I also it. feel like I do think his desire to help
2: people is genuine. And as silly as it is, I think that will help someone. Like that regular person who makes $15 an hour and can't get sober is like, oh, he spent $300,000 in a month at some rehab facility and couldn't do it like it's not me <laughs> i'm not the problem yeah okay that's a really good I point i do think like part of the premise
1: is i got everything i wanted and more and it didn't feel that fill that hole in my heart like i i do think like part i mean this may be overthinking it, but i do think like part of the mentioning all the numbers and all that stuff is isn't to it isn't as out of touch as you think. It is like what Ashley just said, which is it's trying to let you know how sort
0: of insane it is what yeah. he did to try yeah. to get sober. No, I didn't read that as out of oh, touch. Okay. I thought it was very cool. Yeah. I and think it's the opposite of, of out
2: of touch. I hate when celebrities are like, I grew up in a modest home with my family and you look up the house and it's a fucking $2 million house. Like, no, tell me it was $2 million. Let's be real with each other. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, like it. Yeah,
0: too. no, I I really liked it. And I will say this, like, unfortunately for Matthew in this podcast, he really hits my, this man was built to trigger me. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, poor Matthew Perry's book because like, I... I There is nothing I hate more than the through line of I got everything I wanted and it still wasn't enough. And I'm like, then fuck you, get out of here, let someone (laughs) else have it.
1: He's not saying it wasn't enough. He's saying it didn't do the thing he thought it would.
0: Yeah, then you're a monster because if you become a millionaire, you one thousand percent. Okay, fair enough. One thousand percent can fill the hole inside you by donating to charity every day and seeing the look on their faces. You right. could be healed, and instead you chose not fair to. Fair enough. Dead. I don't know. No,
1: fair enough.
0: um Okay, so let's talk about this. He starts, and tell me if I'm, again, maybe maybe I missed something, but he starts saying, like, I pulled a geographic, I pulled a oh, geographic, yeah. which I now know is a term from AA of thinking that if you change locations, you can fix your life. But he never explains it, which I found a, a bunch of things in the book. Like, when does he ever say, like, this is a term we use that means this? He just starts saying, like. No,
1: there's a lot of stuff that you realize, like, that guy has been in and out of so many places. And it's so, what does he say? Like 9,000 AA meetings or whatever. Like you realize he just thinks that's language. That's just normal language. Yeah. Like the, the thing he talks about, which is like, while you're in a meeting or something, your disease is doing like one arm pushups mm-hmm. outside. And it like, I knew it because of the show. But like before that, I, like I someone talked about it in our writer's room. And I was like, I couldn't even understand what it meant like when someone was explaining it to me. Like, I was like, yeah, well, why yeah. do you need the one arm? Like, why <laughs> can't it just be, like if it were just push-ups, <laughs> it would make so much more sense. <laughs> but it, it like
0: literally, that was like this weird confusion for me. Right, oh, because the disease is so strong. Because the disease is even stronger. It's for you. With one arm. So you're
1: trying to get better and it's in the parking lot of a meeting. Yes, Doing push-ups.
0: One arm. Doing one-armed push-ups because it doesn't even need both arms anymore. Okay, guess, but I'm
1: just like, it would be clearer if you just said push-ups. Yeah.
0: Which again is when I, (laughs) those are all the moments where I was like, where's the monkey? (laughs) Um, Okay, so I will say as a child, one very distinctive thing is that he cried a lot and his parents were extremely young and they started giving him a barbiturate uh, a doctor told them a doctor was like you should give your your newborn this really intense drug to make them stop crying so it's all these pictures of him as a kid like being just zonked as a baby but he he says you know in the book like he is born with the the disease of yes. addiction. Like this is just not a choice it's just in him, but he also kind of points to this incident as a newborn where he's saying like, I came into this world, like being drugged out of my misery as a newborn, which that, that was really painful. Yeah.
1: But you're, you're born with the disease, but some people like that, I think he was saying it was like, that was an early start getting the disease going. Yes, <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Yes. Like a very early.
2: Yeah. Yes. But it, It's also like, I feel like he's done so much work around his addiction, which is wonderful, and less around his like, just personal issues that we all have. So he's like, it seems like he's really mad at his mom for like, working so many hours for Pierre Trudeau. And the level of anger of that seems more than the level of anger of like, giving a baby hardcore drugs And like, of course, at a certain point, you do have to forgive your parents. That's what we all go to therapy to do. But it just seemed like he's done so much work in some areas and not in others, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think every single thing, right, is just trying to get sober, which doesn't necessarily mean you're addressing the deep trauma or you get to whatever you think the trauma is and then you just stick with
0: it. And I... I had I have a really negative take that I came away thinking which is I was like oh he he's he's just an asshole without the addiction. Oh. <laughs> then he also suffers addiction but like he was just he he really is a jerk by his own words yeah. Like, yeah. he's really <laughs> fucking mean and I was like and that has nothing to do with the addiction and then but then he's working through his addiction and he's not getting nicer. Yeah. Um yeah. he
2: also like he sort of ends the book saying that like his great desires like be buried and have children. And you can kind of tell he thinks like, I'm sober now, so that should happen. It was like, no, you're sober now. So now you have all this work to do about your relationships before you get there.
0: So page 33, he writes a sentence, Woody gets it, Woody gets me. <laughs> and he's talking about, actually don't even know how to pronounce this. And I truly don't want this word in my Anadonia. brain. A word called, Ugh. sorry. and I, okay, yes, no. Now I know it. No, it's good. It's good, which means you're incapable of feeling joy. Uh, to which I wrote, "This is a privileged man's disease uh, that Woody has, and apparently Macmillan has, <laughs> and they're just like nothing'll make me happy. <laughs> but like, but I'm definitely gonna be like a movie star and like be horrible to women. But like, nothing suits <laughs> <soothes> me. <laughs> um, but him liking Woody d- does make sense, um, and. Did you guys know? So he's still a child. He is a nationally ranked tennis player in Canada. Yeah, he's like he was. He was gonna be that. a waspy tennis player or an actor. Yes. that was like his two paths. Yes. Did you guys know the tennis thing? Yeah, I think I did. Of course. Yeah, yeah, I was. It was wild. You he lived was like, under yeah. a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes, Jenny. I didn't have TV as a child for much of my life. Okay, fair enough. I did live under a rock, um, which is now I have this now where I have this podcast where I go, "Oh my God, what?" <laughs> um, okay, so. His mom remarries Keith Morrison. The, <laughs> the <mean>. weirdest detail <laughs> of the book to me is that every time
2: he talks about Keith Morrison, he calls him Keith Morrison. He never calls <laughs> him name. my stepfather yeah. or even my mother's husband. He's Keith Morrison, and they've been married for like thirty years. Yeah, and he's yes. like he's nicest to Keith Morrison
1: of yeah. anyone in the book, really. Yeah, except for Kudrow.
0: But also, he's never like. Keith Morrison, famous newscaster. (laughs) (laughs) Like he never, never gives a bio, but does give the full name. Um, Okay, so when he's a teenager, he's super upset at his mom for working so much. I think he doesn't like Keith Morrison being a stepdad as a teenage boy would. And he moves at 15 to California to be with his dad, who is none other than the Mr. Old Spice. Have
1: you noticed like how much he talks About how beautiful his parents are.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean his parents are. And I don't know, I know, but
1: it's like it it haunted me a little bit. I was like, oh, that's like Mm. part of
2: your wound. There are a few things I relate to him on. And one is as a child of very hot parents, I do relate (laughs) to this. It is hard (laughs) to grow up, just being like, God, they're so hot. Is any of that going to trickle down to me? So I I actually related to him on that. Ashley, I'm done. Yeah. That is so funny. My parents are very hot, very stylish
0: people. He says in the book, I do think I'm good looking. I just don't think I'm the most good looking man. It's like, okay, well then get over it. You said you're in the good looking genre. You guys, I'm sorry. Okay, yes. His dad's Mr. Old Spice. He moves in with his dad. Then as I promised I would, on page 36, he says, he goes into a story about um, his addiction, and he says, um, now all I had to do was figure out a way to get down 40 floors from my $20 million penthouse apartment without Aaron spotting me. Parentheses, I bought the place. I swear to God, because Bruce Wayne lived in just such an apartment in the dark night. <laughs> and this is our Batman check-in. <laughs> okay, now, we're back That's in so California. Sad.
1: You have to say that for me. Like, I'm just staring at you blankly.
0: (laughs) Okay, so he's in California living with his dad, who is an actor. He's literally discovered in a diner the day he moves there. A man passes him a note watching him flirt with girls and is like, I want you to be in a movie. And he ends up starring in a movie with River Phoenix when he is 16 years old.
1: And Ione Sky, Meredith Salinger. You guys probably haven't seen that movie, but it was an important movie.
0: Well, you know, it's more that he didn't list the female names in the book, Jenny. (laughs) He really only said River was in the movie, so I don't know.
1: Are are we going into the Keanu, or we?
0: Yep, we sure are. So (laughs) let me just read it. So then he says um, he's talking about River Phoenix's death. Also died by you know from addiction. He said River was a beautiful man inside and out, too beautiful for this world. It turned out it always seemed to be the really talented guys who go down. Why is it that the original thinkers like River Phoenix and Heath Ledger die, but Keanu Reeves still walks among us? (laughs) My my coworker, Maddie, said it best. She said, he's throwing knives at the internet's boyfriend? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, and that was like the pull quote, you know, before anybody read the book. And I was like, surely it's taken out of context because that's what journalists do. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Also, wait,
1: that's where the answer, how did that not, in edit after edit after edit uh, I have to say
0: this there's how did that there not get is no way flagged there is uh, and I will say a bunch of cookies like work in publishing they were like there's no even if the book editor just decided like this will be juicy PR I'm not going to say yeah. anything legal would yeah. Be, yeah legal would be like hey by the way you could get sued and he went yes keep it I in. Know.
1: but he's never going to get sued and, by Keanu cuz
0: Keanu's perfect which is I know not I, I put a little poll on my Instagram cuz I posted this quote and I said why do you think he did it surprisingly the majority of people said he was just being you know thoughtless and wasn't thinking the second ranked answer was he thought it would be funny like as if keanu reeves was a 90s funny reference of a person we all laugh at that's what i think you do think that wow okay i will say this i think this one which no one voted just a very few people voted for but i still believe it rotten hearts always hate beautiful hearts that's how I feel. Like Keanu is such an incredible person, and Matthew fucking hates it and can feel it. That's how I feel.
1: Okay, I have one more. Someone speculated somewhere on the internet, so it's true. Because wasn't Keanu there the night River Phoenix died? Uh,
0: that was like the 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 rumor that like Keanu should have helped River Phoenix. So that's, that was the
1: other theory I'd heard. I don't believe that. I think he thought he was being funny. I don't believe it either. I think he
2: thought thought it was a joke because there's like many times in the book, and this is a hundred percent, a hundred percent my bias as a writer. I know that going into it. There's many times in the book where he's like, I suggested this funny joke and it made it into the show or it made it into the movie. And most of them are not funny, but he's like hot. He's a good actor. And you're gonna go, yeah, buddy, let's shoot it both ways. You know what I mean? So I think like in his mind, he's a great comedy writer. And he thought that this was a funny joke. Do you remember there's an episode of Friends?
1: You guys might not remember because it was, you know, I'm a scholar. but um, (laughs) Ashley's gonna know. Which was that, it's how Joey gets fired off the soap opera, which is that he claims to basically write all the lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> and then he, like, his character steps into, like, an empty elevator shoot <laughs> <forgot.
2: or> whatever. <laughs> that happened to me in real life. An actor came up to me drunk at a party and told me they wrote a scene that I wrote.
0: yeah. Wow, that happened to me on set. An actor to my face said, I wrote this joke. I improvised it at table read. And, you know, because you have drafts in your computer, you're like, I legit wrote this <laughs> yeah. two months ago. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> um, well, I I don't know. I, I like, I I hope your guys is true. He just thought it's funny. Legal, whoever brought it up to him, he said, no, it's that funny. I, I think Keanu's like, <laughs> clearly such an incredible person who's withstood so much. Um, People have made fun of him for so long and he's withstood it and turned out to have an incredible career. He dates a woman his own age. <laughs> he constantly gives and helps people everywhere. Oh, I everywhere. say
1: something about that. I met Alexandra Grant and you know how everyone's like fucking dying over the fact that he's dating like a grown woman. She is like so stunning in real life. Like it's, I think because she has like a yeah, shot but- of white hair that make people like- there's some kind of idea about her that he's like, you know, somehow doing a favor or whatever. Because she's like a grown woman, no, and she's I like don't the most striking,
0: interesting, yes. cool artist. Like I'm like, what? Because no, I don't think that's it. Because he is too. He's so know, handsome. Yeah. He's such a cool artist. There, I think it is just misogyny is so rampant yeah. that they're always dating 20 year olds that it is just simply a revelation right. that he's dating you're a woman right. who doesn't dye her hair meanwhile Matthew Perry if he is on Tinder 100% his age range is set from 18 to 24 okay. <laughs> I am sure of it <laughs> I am sure he's like above 24 you're gross um, okay so I do love how honest he is in the book though as a teenager this is one of the best parts of the book he mistakes he mistakes whiskey dick for impotence he thinks his dick doesn't work and he's not realizing that he is drinking so much every night and especially before moments when he thinks he might lose his virginity that he has whiskey dick and thinks his dick doesn't work and i loved how he wrote about he was so afraid he was so embarrassed he made all these excuses to not have sex and then a woman named trisha trisha comes to heal him and it and he doesn't even really say what she does, except that he confides in her that my dick doesn't work. And then she says, come to bed with me. That's never going to happen again. And then, you know, his dick is healed. And then, uh, you know, credits for honesty, he says. And how did I repay Trisha? I cheated on her with every woman I could find. <laughs>
1: He's definitely, like, heavy, deep, and real about how awful he
0: is to people. That's true. But but with no sense of change. Yeah. Do you know what like I mean? at that
2: point in the book, he's like 18 or like maybe 20. Oh, and you were so, waiting for the arc? Yeah, it was. I thought that that was there yeah. to be an arc and it wasn't. See, people
1: who like have that intense of an addiction freeze at the age they start drinking. They just freeze there.
0: Oh, and like, Jenny, that's it. You know what I mean?
1: So it's like, I don't know where the, I mean, you know, the whole arc is basically he ends with, I'm still doing my best. I'm probably going to go out this way to the disease. But like, yeah, you know, I want to help people. But like, it's as if he, this is the thing with addiction. It's as if he moved an inch. Do you know what I mean? Like, because he just kept rela. And by the way, I also really, really like about this book that it normalizes relapse. Because I think that's like such a big part. I mean, he... <laughs> really normalizes it. But like, you know, it it always is like seen as this like crazy shame and failure. And actually it's like so regular. It happens so much. Do you know what I mean? Like almost wow. no one, yeah. I think, I shouldn't talk numbers, but like, you know, it's very rare that someone stops and stays that way.
0: Yeah. that That's a really good point. And I think the idea of the arc is an inch. It's him moving an inch over the course of 300 pages. That would, that really would explain it to me.
2: I would say there is some self-awareness about it too because he does say that he like wrote a screenplay that's like based on his life. And he was going to play the character. And then he was like, then I realized 50-year-old men don't have these problems. I need to cast a 30-year-old to play me. So he does know that his arc is shorter than one would expect.
0: Yes. And yeah, and you know what? Definitely credit to him. He does talk about like, this isn't cute anymore. I am 52. This is ridiculous. Okay. Then he talks about this therapist (laughs) who I was like, I wrote like Ugh, weird therapist and I was mad. And then I thought about it. And I was like, fuck, is this therapist correct? So I want to know your opinion. This therapist tells him after he tries to like sleep with a woman who doesn't want to sleep with him. You will always know if a woman wants to <laughs> hook up with you, if she takes her shoes off when you guys like go to your place or her place, if she keeps her shoes on, she is not staying the night. It is you are not having sex. Make out at best. And I was like, oh, fuck you, gross therapist. And then I. I started to try and think of times when like we'd gone back to my place or your place. And if I had my shoes on or off, do you guys think this is correct advice? Well,
1: it should not be coming from a therapist. Like that, <laughs> no. that is so, <laughs> not at that all. is so upsetting to me. Um, unless that therapist no, that was, was very like, upsetting. But, but unless that <laughs> therapist was like, this guy is drunk so much that I don't want him to do, like he was giving him instructions on who not? Oh my god!
0: To- <laughs> pray tell, the woman who accidentally takes her shoes off but doesn't want to fuck. You, I think
1: it, I think it's very <laughs> bad advice, and it is like that. <laughs> therapist should be disbarred or whatever.
2: <laughs> I do think <laughs> the shoes are too specific because I am shoe. I take my shoes off in the office, and I've never fucked a coworker, so. I think shoes are too specific. There we go. That's what we need. But I do think that, like, the idea that a woman knows how far she wants to go before she comes into your house is mostly true,
0: and that is why there's no
2: point in coercing. (laughs) Like, it just know that she already knows that she's going to tell you yes or no, and there's no point in you trying to convince her. I think is true. Yes. Uh,
0: Yeah. That. That's. Perfectly said. Also, you know, just listen, yeah. yes or no, regardless of whether she knows what she wants, just listen. And then lastly, I'm really disappointed to say that <laughs> I think I think every time I pop my shoes off, I, you are I was red. down to clown. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're just down think, to stick around. <laughs> um, okay, so then— Oh my God, I can't take this. So then he works with Valerie Bertinelli. Oh my God. who's like the super hot thing of that time. He's talking about this guy, Craig, who's a big role in his life, who's best friends with him, who he always says is the only person funnier than him. Craig, you will recognize him from the, he's like the producer in the, in the show Unreal on Lifetime, if you guys watch that, Long Kiss Goodnight. But he's definitely not uh, at his career where Matthew Perry is. But in this moment, they are two young upstarts. They're so funny. He writes... I fell madly in love with Valerie Bertinelli, who was clearly in a troubled marriage and truly getting off on two of the funniest guys (laughs) on the planet, adoring her and heaping their attention on her. And he's talking about himself and Craig. And I was like, I'm sorry, did you just say you're the funniest man on the planet? (laughs) And Valerie's loving this. Well, he might have been a little bit right because when Eddie Van Halen passes out, she makes out with uh, Matthew Perry two feet away from him. But I thought that was, uh, I thought that was such a weird thing to say. all
1: of the stuff, I mean, we should, I think, dig in on the funny thing, which it's so much work he's done about not having to be the funniest person in the room and all of that. And he's so used to being like using that as a crutch and whatever. And he's not, done with it like he's so clearly not done with it like he can't like if I were his therapist which as you know I've been trained as a therapist so this is a great idea (laughs) but I'd be like you have to go to 10 parties and not make a joke just to like see what happens because his value is so wrapped up in it and he talks about it but it doesn't feel like in any way he's gotten better about it like it's still this thing in him that's like he has decided people only like him for that. And, and, you know, whether you think he's funny or not, he has decided that it it is the only way people can like him. And he keeps sort of talking about it. Like I used to be like that. I used to be like that. And I'm like, brother, you're still that you're so, yeah. I thought it was like hard to read that stuff. I,
0: I completely agree. And I want to know your take on, he has this this boy group, which I actually really <laughs> loved. Yeah. It, was, it was really making me think of Entourage. It's him, the that Craig guy. The Murrays. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. His Murrays are are like back in his, Canada. His, his like, back oh, in Canada younger friends. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about Hank Azaria, Craig, and this other person who... Doesn't really have a role in the book, but these four guys who are young and they're trying to make it big. And he says they're the funniest men in Hollywood, and they hang out all the time. And one of the parts I loved in the book is that he talks about how they're, they're they all are fame hungry. They just want fame. I know fame, that fame, was like fame, incredible fame.
1: that candor about that.
0: Like it yeah, wasn't, and like, I was like, this he, is people do feel this way. I'm so glad yes, you said yes. it because it yeah. And but then he talks about like how they affect each other's lives based on who gets more famous. And, and he says all they wanted was fame and that he ends up becoming the most famous. Yeah. And it's like this little boy group. And they, they hate him for it. Yes. And okay. So Ashley, do you want to tell us the story of him and his friend, Craig, and how he gets the role of, okay, friend, wait, I first, the role wait, of Chandler being I Friends. have to
1: tell you one thing and then we'll talk about that, but this is just like a, tell me. a detail, which I love is that Richard, my husband- used was like broke in his 20s was in a poker game with those guys and he it was like oh my god it was like him and his friend mark who was his writing partner at the time and those guys and they all used to play and he was like they were so nice we had such a good time it was really funny that they all started to get rich and like (laughs) started to bet like $200. And Richard was like eating ramen. He's like, I'm out. And so they just had to leave the game. Because <laughs> the stakes
0: got That's- high. I think Richard hilarious. I I, oh my god, I love this like little group of four boys yeah. being like, We're gonna make it, we're gonna get fame and never get therapists, and <laughs> now we're playing Torture highball. <laughs> and, and we're gonna ruin women's life to Woody.
2: <laughs> so as I said, there's like a couple of things that are really relatable in this book. And these two things which will lead into the boy group. One is that he said when he got when he finally got famous. He sent a copy of a people's magazine that he's on the cover on to the teacher who told him he'd never oh, become yeah. anything. And I was like, I, <laughs> I fucking love, love you. I yeah. <laughs> Chelsea knows <laughs> I've like threatened to put up a billboard with my face on it across <laughs> from the office of the producer who was mean to me. Like I actually <laughs> love that. Um, and then the other thing was this story of like how he got friends because this like group of guys, they would have like lunch together every day. And they would like read each other's scripts and work together on stuff. So it wasn't just that they were hungry for fame. They were like working. They're all working towards it. And he was already had an alcohol problem. So he had drank up all his money, which I will say one of the other funny moments in the book is when his business manager calls and goes, you're out of money. And he's like, you don't want to call me. Before that happened, like-
1: <laughs> by the way, you know a hundred percent that business manager warned him thirty five. Oh yeah, uh, yes. He was- oh yeah, <laughs> and he
0: clearly said he was drinking yeah. and yes. missing auditions. Like he called him and said, "You're going to be out of money." He missed it. Yeah.
2: So he tells his agents, "Like get me anything," and they get him this like really crappy pilot about um, working in a, a
0: air. A futuristic baggage yeah, claim <laughs> for aliens. Where the where the
2: car- where the passengers are aliens.
0: Yeah. And, it, and they're played by little people.
2: The aliens part sounds bad, but baggage claim is not a setting for a TV show. There's just not enough conflict and relationship at baggage claim. Uh so he gets this job and then the friend script comes out. And so everyone in town wants to be on this show. It's the hot script of the season. And this is like back in the days where like five shows would come out. So you better get on one of them or you're not working that year, right? And everyone's reading it and being like, oh my God, you're Chandler. Like other actors are reading it being like, you are the perfect Chandler. And he can't do it because he's on this shitty airport pilot. So he starts coaching his friends in their Chandler auditions Which I was like, as terrible as you are to every single woman you ever encounter, (laughs) this is so (laughs) sweet because it's like truly his dream role and he knew it was going to be a life changing role for him and he couldn't have it. So he like helps everyone with their auditions. His friend Craig gets the Chandler gig and also gets another gig on another sitcom, calls Matt Perry and Hank Azaria Read both of these scripts and let's all sit together and talk about which one I should take, which I love because, like, that's how that's how me and my girl that's what we are. do. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I just love that they had that kind of relationship. They read the scripts and they're like, obviously, it's friends, this is the best script, you have to do it. And Craig doesn't do it, and that's how well
0: he, Craig goes to make the phone call to his agent, and Matt is with him in the phone booth and listens to him choose the wrong yeah. pilot, which I thought was. Extremely crazy. Sorry, keep and going. not
2: only that, also there's so many coincidences that have to line up for him to get this part because the the pilot, the bad pilot that he's stuck on in first position. Which I in in Hollywood, you can like get as many jobs as you can get, but they're put in position. So even if the worst show that pays you no money is in first position, you have to go with that one and not your second position show. So the show that he was in first position on was at Fox the exec who's casting Friends is married to a Fox exec. So she just asked her husband in bed at night, hey, is there any chance that that show is gonna go? He says no, so it's safe for them to cast Matt in second position, knowing that his first position show isn't gonna go. And that lady is Jamie Tarsus.
0: Oh, I'm so upset for Jamie Tarsus. Jamie Tarsus changed his life twice. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own and it comes out on June 4th and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing traumatic memoir. But funny? So, if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir a female best friendship breakup, how I got my break into Hollywood, when I found out my dad was not my real dad, the time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah, growing up around cults, how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes. But, you know, go anywhere. Also... I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay. Ashley, that was beautifully told. <laughs> he then gets the role of Chandler on Friends. And he can tell from the moment it starts that it, Changes his life. And I loved those chapters of like the six of them getting on the show and like knowing that that this was gonna be something special. And I even forgot that um Courtney Cox was the most famous person mm-hmm. on that pilot. Because, you know, you think of him now as all equally famous, but like she was the name. And so that's how he gets friends. That was one of my favorite chapters. Did you guys love that chapter? I love yeah. that. Even the detail that like their director,
2: who that guy is like a legendary pilot director. Um, took them to Vegas and was like, enjoy gambling in Vegas because this is the last time you'll be able to do it because you're going to be so famous after this. And like how many people have thought that and it didn't turn out to be true and it was for them. Like it was just amazing that they kind of knew what was coming and that they had each other to like go through it with.
1: Had that not happened, the success, (laughs) they would have like killed James (laughs) Burroughs.
2: Remember that time (laughs) you took us to Vegas? (laughs) Yeah.
0: But also is it because the show was kind of ripping off Living Single so they really could bank on the fact that it was going to work <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> they're like, well it worked um, once. Okay, so I know they're like, uh okay, so then he takes a little detour to talk about a nameless woman in his current day life sounds like about 5 years ago who he is with there in Switzerland He's tr- he's really suffering with alcohol and pills, and he proposes to her, and then has these two chapters where he's like, kind of like, "Fuck this woman! I was so drunk and on pills when I proposed marriage to her, and like, she sucks."
1: I kept expecting <laughs> I- her to come back. Yeah, yeah for that. but by the way, I remember when they were engaged. You yeah, do? Yeah, like it, it was like a in in the news it was in the new york times and no but like there's like a picture like a long brunette like long hair brunette and with a ring or whatever and like
0: when i was reading that all i could do was think about her reading matthew perry's book as he discusses every woman who's ever fucked with him at length and then listing her as the person he proposed to while high and Never meant it and wasted two years of his life with, and how she probably thought she was getting married. Yeah, he also
2: like is very. He mentions more than once. He's like, she moved her dogs into my house. Yeah, man, that's what married people do. What he's like so yeah,
0: offended. Then, yeah, and you're like, you proposed to a woman with dogs. Like, what? And he's like, can you believe she said yes, even though she knew I was using? And you're like, uh. I think I can. I have a question for you guys. Do you
1: think, because some of the women, he doesn't say their names and some of them he does, it made me feel like he asked permission from the women to talk about it.
0: Oh. I was curious. Uh, you know, he he puts not Jennifer Aniston's Rachel, but a different Rachel's pictures in the book. Yeah, exactly. And that definitely would have taken permission. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. And this woman, as she should have said fuck yourself right. um okay well weird switzerland tangent tangent then well this is i he's really like, got confused with the timeline yeah it was confused yeah, he was both. he was yeah he was going again n- n- book editor was on <laughs> vacation yeah um,
1: but also because it was like this pattern of like two months to six months and then using again and two months to six months and using again it was like very hard to keep track of Where he was at. at. Yeah. And then it made the book
2: repetitive because he catches up with times he already wrote about and writes about them again. And it just, it was confusing.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. It was very confusing. Well, he comes back in on the friends section and he says, It was really weird to work with Jennifer Aniston because I had hit on her a few years prior and she refused to sleep with me and she's so cold and rude and like, isn't she such a bitch, you guys? (laughs) Like, that? he doesn't fully write that. I didn't read it like that at all. 100%. This is how he says he hits on her. Now, please, both of you, imagine a guy who you barely know calls you up and says, Oh my God, Jenny, Ashley, what is up? You're the first person I wanted to tell this. I've been offered two pilots in a movie. Do you want to go out? But he says
1: that he couldn't believe, he's mortified he said that.
0: He's mortified because it didn't work on her. She just went, (laughs) and he says, big mistake. She turned icy cold. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, dude. That's a weird thing to do. Yeah, like she doesn't know you. And then he's like, oh, guess she was too good for me. It's like, what? The way he talks about her, it's one thing when it's like
2: an ex-girlfriend from 10 years ago, but like, you know, not only that Jennifer Aniston is going to read this book, but that other people are going to read it and talk to her about it. And he really, the way he talks about her is very weird.
0: Very fucked. And he will talk about her frequently. Can you believe Jennifer Aniston (laughs) didn't fuck me? And he's also like, I would stare at her.
2: I calculated exactly how long That part really creeped me out. I was like, don't count. Just don't stare. Like, why do you have to stare at her? This is your coworker for 10 years. This is not a random woman you thought was beautiful on the plane and you stared at her. In 10 years, you didn't get beyond- her physical to get to, oh, she's really funny. She like, she drinks hot chocolate at weird times of the day. Like you didn't in 10 years get to know something else about her other than that you like to look at her face.
0: Yes. And we'll never forgive her for not fucking you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, it'll come up again. So we'll be back. He says, um, he, he says he makes out with Gwyneth Paltrow before Friends blows up. I loved a little hot goss. Then he talks about how Friends explodes. He starts dating Julia Roberts, who who Marta Kaufman, the, the creator of Friends, is like, hey, you should, you know, you should talk to Julia Roberts. She's been asking about you. He starts dating <laughs> Julia Roberts. They have a romance. And then it begins on facts. They're facts in back and forth. I I think he should explain to the cookies what a fact <laughs> is. So a fa- <laughs> a fax machine was like a text message device for long-winded letters. Yeah, that's right. So You could write a letter, but then you could instantly send your letter. And I, I truly, I thought to myself, "Wow, I really feel for every woman who had to communicate by fax because it would allow you to fall in love with Matthew." It Prince. actually
2: seemed like <laughs> amazing. Like he sends her a cute, like romantic fax or whatever. She faxes back. You have to explain what is it particle physics to me? Yeah, oh, <laughs> which like they're both gross. If you first of all, if I look like Julia Roberts. I would need a way to weed them out. Who's willing to put in the work? Do a little research. <laughs> write me a little college entrance exam and fax it back. <laughs>
0: and he has the whole friend's writer's room helping him write faxes. It also made me think of Brooke Shields and Andre Agassi, who also fell in love via fax. Um, but, okay, so they fall in love via fax, but here's the thing, you guys. He then, after a year and a half of dating Julia Roberts, breaks up with her, and he's super aware in the book can you believe I did this? I'm such a moron. But I, the the self-awareness did nothing for me. I was like, you are such a fucking asshole. It feels like he thinks he's like God's gift to everyone, but also is like, but I'm self-deprecating too. I, I don't know. What'd you guys think?
2: I think he like, it's a weird, it's very interesting. And- I do hope that he gets a therapist. He should have two therapists. He should have an addiction therapist (laughs) and then he should have a rest of life therapist. Because I think the addiction. He has
1: many more than
2: that. Because on the one hand, yes. But on the other, he's like, I know I'm a terrible boyfriend. I know I don't deserve these women. And that is a self-defeating bad attitude. But he also is a terrible boyfriend. Like it seems like the only like the reason he's so mad the woman moved the dogs into his house is because your whole job needs to be to take care of him. And that's why like Aaron works for him because he's like, she's a lesbian. We're never going to date. But her job literally because she's paid to do it is to just take care of me. And if that's what you want in a relationship, you are a bad boyfriend and you should break up with Julia Roberts and she should go marry the guy she's happily married to now who probably is more reciprocal with the caretaking.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I should be celebrating Julia Roberts' happy ending <laughs> in this. Well, okay. So then he goes on to discuss one of my favorite rom-coms, Fools Rush In. Uh, someone recently tried to tell me this movie was bad and I refused to hear it. I think it's very good. Do you guys like this movie with him and Salma Hayek? I love this yes. movie. I love that movie. I think it is so good. I think it holds up. And um, so he talks about how Fools Rush In is probably his best movie. To which I wrote, true, Agree. very true. He was so good in it. And Salma Hayek was like, you know, a rom-com lead in the early 2000s, which, you know, we didn't get enough of that. And then he talks about how <laughs> on the set of this movie, he demands to go jet scheme. And oh, yeah. the ent- all the crew, all the actors who all need this man to not kill himself. <laughs> Shit. Wait, you
2: gotta, You gotta do the direct quote on this one. I'm sorry. Because okay. there are extras who are jet skiing, who, as we all know how production works, those people are probably actually stuntmen. Yes, yeah, okay. He says, <laughs> can I ride the jet ski? They say no. He says, oh, actually, you're not allowed to say no to me. And then That's he right. gets on it. And there's like a couple And then he, gets times on it. he says stuff like that, like, because I'm famous, I get to do this. It's like a cute tongue-in-cheek thing. But in this case, you're like literally putting these people's jobs in jeopardy.
0: Yeah, Uh, this was of all the things these. This is one where it's just like, I just don't have empathy. He said, and then I turned the jet ski hard right. But my body weight went straight on. I was airborne and then I was not airborne. Once I surfaced, I looked back to where I'd started. There stood 40 people on the shoreline. The entire crew who had been watching me risk the entire movie who all now dove into Lake Mead to get me. I was like, dude, you're such an asshole. So then- But I feel like he's, shame, shame, that feels
1: shame for you, him, you no? You
0: think so? I don't know, I, mean, I feel like- I, it is cool he's admitting it. It's cool he's admitting it. It's just the fact that he ever did it is like hard for well, me. Well, it's also but isn't this- like-
1: He discovered Oxycontin on this show.
0: Yeah, that's how
2: his addiction yes. starts because well- he gets injured on the sea they give him one Vicodin. He fucking loves it. And then he's nuts for Vicodin after that. And I feel like there's part where he's like, why did that doctor prescribe me a Vicodin? And it's like, why did you get on the jet ski? <laughs> like, yes, maybe that doctor shouldn't yeah. have done that. And it's true that there are some people who could take that one Vicodin and then never take another one and be fine. And there are some people who can't and doctors should be aware of that. But you never should have been injured. You shouldn't have got on the Sea-Doo.
0: Yes, you're right. He, he says- I wish I'd never taken that pill. A year and a half later, I was taking 55 Vicodin a day. A day. Okay. Then he goes back into friends. He talks about how David Schwimmer had them tie their contracts together into a favored nations and say, we negotiate together. And David Schwimmer is the reason that they end up making a million an episode, which to shoot a multicam is a million dollars a week. Um, And I like that he gave David his flowers
1: like that's a famous story yes, they right they all do yeah, yeah cuz he's were, a yeah.
0: chicago guy yes yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah okay um and then <sighs> okay then he writes this paragraph then chris farley died his disease had progressed faster than mine had plus i had a healthy fear of the word heroin a fear we did not share i punched a hole through jennifer aniston's dressing room wall when i found out then in italics keanu reeves walks among us i I have to say if someone ever punches a hole in a physical object near you this is one of the biggest red flags in life to me and i can't believe the woman he tried to fuck who he hated for not fucking him he stared at every day he then goes into her dressing room and punches her wall i didn't like it you guys and then he goes at keanu reeves again
1: i can't explain explain it to me that's very very bad behavior but
0: I just, like, have so much sympathy
1: for how broken he is. Like, the pattern is crazy, and it's clearly not stopping. And I hope it stops now. He doesn't even know if it's going to stop now at all. And so just all of the bad behavior, I'm kind of like... (laughs)
0: Yes. He's suffering, and again,
1: it he's suffering. It's like, I know, like, literally, like, yeah, you know, there are plenty of nice alcoholics. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be a dick. I don't know why. Like, I, maybe it's just because I loved him so much and Friends. But like, the journey of the back and forth of that journey, like,
2: really hits my
1: sad spot.
2: There's also just like physically the thing, like, I've yeah. been prescribed Vicodin after an injury. Every time I've ever put a Vicodin in my mouth, I've immediately thrown it up. I've like I just cannot take it. So the difference between my reaction to taking one Vicodin, immediately vomiting, and his to taking one, being like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and soon after taking fifty five, like there's just something different about his body that like I'm glad that he's saying that because there's someone else in that position who thinks they're the only person and needs to hear it. Um, but also, yeah, if somebody punched a wall in my dressing room, we have a problem.
0: (laughs) He definitely, one of the best parts of this book is how clear that, um, addiction is a disease. Yes. It's not a choice. It's not something you can, um, just, you know, go back and forth on or you're being selfish. It really is just a disease he is suffering from and anyone who has it is suffering from.
1: And I really believe that. And like, I mean, his story proves it. Like, and he has, there really are people who- can get through it and live one day at a time and not drink anymore or not do drugs anymore. And then there are people with that story, which is like so sad. And he says at some point, like, um, what does he say? He says like, he doesn't think he has, he ruined like every serotonin thing mm-hmm. he had. And
0: like, he can't re- mm, receptor. I, I will also say it's extremely possible that his sense of humor does not translate into yeah. mm-hmm. literary form. And when he thinks he's being so funny and sarcastic and honest, it's actually coming off like quite cruel. And that's just like a disconnect in the mediums. And, but that I do think there, there is a possibility that much of this was meant to be funny that ended up coming off <laughs> asshole ish. Like. <laughs> Two pages later from the Sea-Doo accident, he said, For those of you watching, this was the beginning of season four. The best I have ever looked on the show. Still not good <laughs> enough for Jennifer Aniston, but pretty See, fucking good. I really good. think that
1: is, to him, a self-effacing show. No, I was like, fuck you. Let know, her go. I know. Let I'm her sure go. I'm sure you guys are right. You, if you little were like, monster. If we were having drinks right now and you were talking about him and he was one of your boyfriends. <laughs> I would be, I
2: would be very (laughs) upset. He's He's so funny. Okay. He does seem to have real issues with his weight, how he feels about his weight. Yeah. And that like is a recurring, I don't know how aware he is of it, but he brings it up a lot. And it's got to be hard to have 10 years of documentation of every weight you were ever at available to you. You know what I mean? Well, I
1: remember- In relation yeah.
0: to your addiction. When yeah. they
1: have the beginning of the proposal, that when um, Monica proposes to Chandler, and I think at that point, it was the super skinny one. And then it's they start the next season at the same night. And it's like the super heavy one. And it's like, it just shows you so cleanly You know, when he says in the book, like, when I was on pills, I was skinny. And when I was drinking, he says says it in a weird way, like, I was holding weight or something like that. Yeah. But he also
2: says, and when I have a goatee, I was on a lot of pills, which is- (laughs) A lot of
1: pills, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: But also that nightmare, which I've had, where you come back the next season, after quarantine, and they're like, we're doing the same sketch again. You have to put on the same outfit. And you're like walking the plague over to that rack big like, yeah. oh God, let's see what's going to happen. Like I he he had to do that. <laughs> That's the worst. Like I get it. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, you're right. You're right. And we should, well, to talk about that specific time with the engagement and him and Chandler and Monica getting married, he lives in a rehab. He writes, I was living in a rehab when yeah. Chandler and Monica get married, which was also- so beautifully written and a way to say that he's living in rehab and being driven out of it to film these scenes of them getting married, which they've even pushed off. They're just moving all their schedules for him so that he can be in rehab. And he's in rehab because previously mentioned Jamie Tarsus, who gets him the role of friends to begin with, is the the kind of like pseudo girlfriend who then helps him get sober for two years. And the moment he's sober, he says, "And what did I do to repay sweet, beautiful, angel, perfect Jamie Tarsis, who changed my life twice? I dumped her so I could go fuck every woman in California. Now that I was sober, you—I you, half love the honesty, and I half want to <laughs> run him over with my." But he car. is talking, I think, in his mind
1: about like the disgusting person he was. Like that is the way he's framing it, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think just by the end of the book, you don't get a sense that, yeah. that that's not exactly that's who true. he still is. And um, But listen, more importantly, now we're on page 136 when we talk about <laughs> what? Batman. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Our Batman check-in is, it's titled Interlude. The chapter title is Holes. Addiction is like the Joker. It just wants to see the whole world burn. Then that's the end of that page. I just don't even know why it's there. Um, then a chapter titled Bruce Willis. And it's about when Bruce Willis leaves Demi Moore and they just become like two dudes fucking anything in a penthouse filming the whole night. I thought yards. that
2: was like the most fun part of the book. And I also appreciated that he. Showed this, but also took the time to say, like, this is the difference between like a fun drunk and an alcoholic that like Bruce Willis and he were partying all the time. And then when Bruce was done, he could be done and just get up the next day and go to work. And like Matt Perry didn't have that ability that Bruce Willis had.
1: Yeah. And I do think that's like, that's the disease versus not having the disease, right? Which is like, you can have all the fun in the world. But like when my friend got sober, I remember him saying, uh, Using the metaphor, because it's like you all drink together and you do all this stuff. And then someone like never stops. And I remember him saying as a metaphor, like, I mean, I had to get sober. I was the last one at the party, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it was like,
2: yeah. And he said yeah. he would like leave the bar, like everyone's drinking bar closes at 2 a.m. He would leave at 145 so he could stop at the liquor store and buy more yeah. vodka and continue drinking the same amount alone afterwards.
0: And in this, at this period of time, he's so far into the addiction, he's often drinking or taking the type of pill he's on in that particular time in life to not go into detox, which will be very painful for him, which is so different from, you know, I, I, I just want to drink, I just mm. want to drink. He'll be like, I have to drink or I'll be in physical pain and I'm supposed to be filming this movie because... Without this amount in my system, I start to detox and and, and it becomes trouble. He also said,
1: Right. He was taking 50 pills and like didn't
0: get high. Yeah. He was like, Oh, I didn't get high. I didn't feel anything. I just kept taking them so that I could keep going to work.
2: And then it becomes like a job to find that many pills. Like he talks about how he would go to open houses and steal them. He had like multiple doctors all doing different prescriptions. Like, 50 pills a day is a lot to have to yeah. access. He says it's, it was his yeah. full-time job.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's heartbreaking. And then kind of where he's at is that Friends ends. He hilariously, I do love how honest he is in the book. He says, <laughs> I asked for the last line. I said, no one else will care. Can I please be the last, the person to say the last line? I said, that is so you, <laughs> the person I've come to know in this book, yes. Um, and then he goes into a chapter about the other Rachel. So not the character Rachel, a real woman named Rachel who is positioned as the woman who got away, who he puts multiple pictures of in the photo section, even though they are not together. She's long gone. Um, I, it it, it irked me though, you guys. He said she was 23 and he was 36 when they met. And then later he says a, a quote, He broke her of her toughness. She was very tough, but he broke her out of it. And I was like, (laughs) you ruined her. You ruined the 20-year-old. And then um, they have this six-year relationship. And within it, he says, the last two to three years, I didn't want to have sex with her at all. And then later, he's doing a play in London that he wrote that, by his own admission, is a horrible play that no one liked. He, I think this is two different women. You do? I thought there were two six-year relationships.
2: I don't think
0: so, but we have a third person
2: on this podcast, Ashley. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to know because the timelines go back and forth so much.
0: I would be shocked if he had two different six-year relationships. Um, and also, but you might be right, Jenny. You do, You might be right. But at least with, there's one Rachel where they break up. He stops having sex with her. And she's like the one that got away. Then there's this other six-year relationship where he's doing a play. He invites her to it. She says. Uh, See, but isn't that the one that's like friends with benefits forever? But I think that's her. I think it's a 23-year-old who was tough, who was like, I don't want anything. No,
2: I think it was because I remember him saying like she was texting all the time because she was young and they would just text like do you want to fuck for like three years and that's and then he falls in
0: love with her. But that
2: wasn't Rachel. I don't think there were I think it is
0: Rachel. But but Friends is over. So Friends ends when he meets Rachel. The year of that Friends ends is what? Like that is not when he meets Rachel because there are pictures
2: of them like on the red carpet. Rachel was at the last episode of Friends. Of Friends
0: Okay, so friends, start? 2004. Texting was There's definitely yeah, texting in 2004. Texting okay, okay. I think it's the same girl because, one, if, he, if it's not the same girl, the second time he visits this relationship, she's not named or described in any way. But then he says, I invite her to my play that everyone is saying sucks. She says I can't catch you in the states. Then I tell her that's very rude for her to not come. And she sends me an email that says I'm actually getting married, and I don't want to stay friends with my ex who is Matthew Perry. And he writes that she's such a bitch for telling him in that way that she was getting married. I was like, what else did you want then, her to tell you? He wanted her to call him, but then doesn't he say like, even
1: though I understand why she did it,
0: I. But then don't say the other part like. I'm sorry, but if I was in a six-year relationship with a man who was almost 20 years, well, let's see, 23, like 15 years older than me, who stopped having sex with me for years, I don't think I have to go to his London play. And if I want to email him and tell him I'm getting married, stop fucking texting me, I think he should listen. I think he thinks he's Matthew Perry, and so he deserves more than what he gave her. Right. Unless it's a different woman, in which case I can take it back.
1: I really think it's a different woman, but we'll, I'll get to the bottom of it.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Then I will say, um, I wrote, I started numbering the amount of times he said this in the book. I came up with four. Tell me if you guys came up with the same. Four different times in the book, he says this sentence. I changed how America spoke English via the cadence of Chandler Bing. Yes.
2: Um, and he's also I said will it in say, every interview he's done about the book.
1: I mean, A, that's not that far from the truth. Like, it was crazy. Like, you were just saying that, actually.
2: Like, you'd come to school and everyone would be
1: doing a Chandler after. But the other <laughs> thing I will say is that I like that he credits the Murrays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like that he says it four times.
1: I think you <laughs> get one. <laughs> this is why he needs an editor. Like, the book yeah. is so cyclical. Like, I can't. He would use the exact same
0: phrases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Then we're at Studio 60. Okay. He,
2: which, which, can I do a small Studio 60 aside? I would yes, love it. Yes, I will join you. I loved Studio 60. Studio 60 and 30 Rock came out the same season, and they were both about backstage of a sketch show. And I was like, Studio 60 is art. I fucking loved it. I rode so hard for Studio 60, I have mentioned this in writers' rooms about how much I love that show to the point where one of the full frontal writers bought me a set of the Studio 60 DVDs (laughs) for Christmas and was like, I think you need to rewatch these. And when you go back and rewatch them, they are terrible. I loved it so much at the time, (gasps) and it does not hold up at all. And none of this is Matt Perry's fault, by the way. He's great in it. It's really the writing. There's literally, so most of the scenes take place with the actors. There's like a few scenes in the writer's room. There's an all white male writer's room. The whole season. Every okay, time you run on the writer's accurate. room. Yeah, there's five <laughs> white guys sitting in there. Episode 13 or something, they invent a black and a female writer that you've never seen before. <laughs> and they're like, we're two of the writers and in that episode they tell Matt's character who i think is also named Matt um all what they're do what they think he's doing wrong and it's like so frustrating and annoying that these writers are like at the wrong moment when he's trying to run the show, have all these complaints about how he's running the show. he They literally invented a black and a female writer to be the ones who are annoying the head writer when they never existed in the writer's room That's for the entire unreal. season. I have a lot to say about that. Please. Though. Okay, um, and then I'm
0: going to follow up with my own monologue. Let's okay. do it. <laughs> Studio so- 60 got to all of us.
1: <laughs> it really did.
0: First of all, I remember when
1: they both came out. Like, yep. I was making television at that time. And it was like, oh, poor 30 Rock.
0: Yeah. Like, (laughs) but also- A hundred percent. Everyone was like, oh, 30 Rock's gonna bomb.
1: Yeah. But then also like, I mean, first of all, so it's a very serious drama about making a comedy. And what the mistake they made was also try to make the comedy within it. So it was like, all of these scenes that were yes. like the least funny thing you've ever seen in your life with like sketch timing. And like, why did they ever show them to us? <laughs> yes. And then also the thing that I thought was amazing is that it's so like, you know, the guy walks, the two guys get lured back to run the show again and they get there. And the first thing they do is fire the whole writer's room. And then, which is so amazing. And then they just proceed for a while to write SNL on their own.
2: Yeah. Like, just and two one of guys. Them is like recovering from, like fresh out of rehab, writing yeah. a whole sketch show by right. himself. a whole sketch by himself that's live once. A and week. it's the best show anyone's ever seen.
0: Uh, I have to join in and say, I remember being an intern and somehow someone had left the script for Studio 60, like, around, and I would I would just kind of, like, I, I was looking for scripts the way some people were looking for drugs. I was like, give hey, me these scripts. <laughs> so I remember reading it, and it took my breath away. I was like, this was the most incredible thing I've ever read. Ashley, just like you, I was like, this show is incredible. <laughs> and Jenny, just like you said, it, it was, when they played the sketches and played oh. the writer's room, it was, A 101 or worst attempt at sketch comedy by Aaron Sorkin. Matt Perry says Aaron Sorkin wrote every word himself. I said that tracks. Mm -hmm, I remember a sketch where someone was like, I'm Jesus on a cross.
1: Uh, We rewatched it in COVID. And by the way, like the most compelling show that I don't think is good in the world, like I would not call it hate watching because I enjoyed every second. You know what I mean? Like I was like, there's also, like, every once in a while, there, you're just like, oh, now I'm watching the West Wing. Like, now I'm watching two mm-hmm. people talk in Aaron Sorkin rhythms, and I love it. And it's, yes. like, good actors, and so it's, like, confusing how to feel. <laughs> and it's
0: beautifully <laughs> I, I will directed. Say, it's beautifully Beautifully shot. directed. Yes. The hot goss that I don't even know where it came from, so this could yeah. be like totally fake, but I feel pretty strong in it, is that Sarah Paulson's character in that show, because she's a strong Christian, is yeah. based on Kristen Chenoweth, who yes. Aaron Sorkin dated. That
1: is true. Um,
0: and that that made the show extra Yes, that is true that I've heard it.
2: Also, <laughs> <laughs> also that Amanda Peet's character was based on Jamie Tarsus. Uh, Jamie Tarsus.
0: Yes, but then, okay, all right. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, what show are you talking about? Yeah. Possibly worth a watch. Um, okay, so now we're into the run out of the book, but a lot is still to happen. He talks about Mr. Sunshine. He talks about The Odd Couple. The way he talks about these shows, as someone who works in TV and you two who work in TV, I said, you you, don't even know what you're talking about. Like. He, he would say, like, I wrote the script all by myself for years. And you're like, well, that's actually that's actually impossible. And, and you did it. And but he but that's how he treats the rest of his projects. He even says on The Odd Couple, he comes in so drunk and so high and on pills that he loses all power to the showrunner. To yeah, which I yeah. say the showrunner <laughs> always had the power. To- yeah, <laughs> you're talking
2: about. Um, but yeah. I, well, in every movie, he's like this guy was a good director because he took all my notes. This guy was yes, a bad director because he didn't was take definitely my notes. The bar it's like, was collaborative <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's not and how then, we judge directing. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then he would say, um, yeah, sets are good if you take feedback from the actors. And then he would say, Salma Hayek had stupid ideas on Fool's Russian and I hated And I, I just said I
2: wasn't gonna do them. He said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what? But sets are good when you take um, his feedback.
0: Oh, uh, and then... Just a quick reference about how much he loves Christopher Hitchens, which hot reminder is the man who wrote, Women Aren't Funny.
1: That was the other one. It was, there were like three references I felt like that I was like, he really dug in and these are oh, like famous monsters. The, what was yeah. the third? Who was Chevy the third? Chase. Chevy Chase. But I yeah. think then maybe there, I feel like there was one There might be more. four. There's probably yeah. another
0: one. I was just like, you're- Oh, like uh, Christopher Hitchens, the most random reference who no fucking reader is going to remember. And you're over here talking about him, never explaining him. And he's the man who uh, hates women. Okay. Said. Yeah. Then, then we're not done. He talks about this incredible, funny, young comedy writer who doesn't want to date him, but he convinces her to. And then he starts dating a different young model at the same time. Laura
1: and Roe. Yep.
0: Laura and Rome, and he dates Laura and Rome at the same time in secret behind their back for what I think is two years. Yeah, for years. For years. And he's like, so stupid of me to date them both and be in love with them for two years. By the way, they were
1: in AA, and you're not supposed to date in your first yeah. year of
0: AA. And they and we both- we know that was like- No, they both break up with him and become close friends- and if this is not what his current movie script is about, I'll kill him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot. He's going. He is going through a lot. There's so much. Um, but, okay, then he talks about the movie Serving Sarah. He says he is slurring so badly. Yeah. All of his lines have to be adr yard, but still has the gall to say that I still think I was pretty good in the last 13 days of that movie. Yeah. <laughs>
2: he's honest he's like I destroyed the movie by being so fucked up all my lines are slurred blah 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 he takes a break from the movie to go to rehab comes back to finish shooting the movie and then he's like I'm doing this step so I decided to make amends so I did all my ADR for the movie it's like honey
1: well he also had to pay $650,000 right
2: yeah which $650,000 is nothing for Matt Perry nothing and I think he makes that clear yeah Doing ADR is not making amends, friend. ADR no, it's was contractual. Contract. Is contractual. Yes. <laughs> you are contractually. He also says, to like, ADR.
0: I ruined the movie. I ruined the director's movie and I ruined Elizabeth Hurley's career. She never got to do another big movie. It's like, I like that you're saying that, but I don't even think a sentence is enough. Like,
2: well, right. I think the concept of making amends, and I'm like, not an AA and, please DM me if I'm wrong. Amends would be that you help Elizabeth Hurley, like call someone and be like, cast her in her movie. Not that you do the ADR, you're contractually obligated to do. It's
1: taking, amends, you're not trying to make up for it, you're taking responsibility for the, what you did.
0: Yeah.
2: So yeah. that is,
1: by the way, I'm an Al-Anon, which is probably also why I feel so much for this man. Because
0: <laughs> yeah, Al-Anon's no, for I,
1: like friends and family. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. No, I I think that's a making amends, like it's not, um, like a quid pro quo vibe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wish he
1: did that, but I'm just clarifying.
0: No, no, yeah, no, thank you. Well, I will say towards the end of the book, a very important paragraph. I thought it's page 210. He says, I remember thinking, man, no one taught me the rules of life. I was the complete mess of a person, selfish and narcissistic. Everything had to be about me, and I matched that with a really handy inferiority complex, and almost fatal combo. I was all about myself from the time I was 10 years old, from that moment when I looked around and said, it's every man for himself. I had to be so focused on me just to keep myself together. But AA will teach you this is no way to live. So really late in life, he finds out he's a selfish narcissistic person well because i said you're frozen in time yes you're right so he and he did he starts drinking around the time he's 10 he starts drinking young Mm -hmm. um and when he's a teenager it really starts but he then says it was a relief learning that there were other people around who had needs and cares and were just as important as I was. He is in his 40s when he learns this. Yeah. And so it is really beautiful that that is in the book. It's just tough that so much of the book is still that point of view, which is that yeah, no yeah. one is important yeah. except me. Yes. This is the big question I have. He writes and kind of, it's he says, I don't have another sobriety in me. Yeah, and that's so what I mean. And so this is... Somewhat a book about recovery, but it's really not. It, in many ways, this is a book about someone who's, I think, in relapse. Well, I it, think. Oh, I don't think that's what he meant. What I, do you think he meant? What I said from that is
2: that, like, his body is now so fragile that if he uses again, he'll just die. Yeah, that's definitely what he meant.
0: So, so you think that this is him saying, "I am sober."
1: Um. No, yeah, but I don't even think it matters. Like, he has set up this thing in this book that it's like, you don't even get invested in his sobriety anymore. And I think, I think, like, he wrote the book to show people how bad it could be. I don't think he's like, so follow me, I can be fixed. Like, I think he just wants people to, like,
2: see themselves. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things he says that I really liked is he says, like, The further down you go, the more people you can help. So he's like, when I was young and I was like drinking too much at night, like maybe I could help someone who had that problem. But when I've taken 55 Vicodin a day, I can help the people who are having that problem. And like he's gone so far down in life that now he can help so many people, um, which I thought was
0: beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I missed a chapter titled Mat-Man, but now we're (laughs) at chapter 11 titled Batman. And um, he's definitely kind of, in. he's really repeating himself. At the end of the book, he repeats maybe the same things over and over again for four chapters, but he does write, still, I do find myself longing for a companion, a romantic one. I'm not picky about five foot two. (laughs) But see, I think this is a joke too.
1: It's not. No, I don't think it's a joke that that's his type. I think I'm not picky, but is the joke.
0: No, but then it's not even a correct joke because he doesn't (laughs) list enough adjectives to make it a joke.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, I'm with you. Yes, you're 100% right. You're 100% right.
0: But we do agree that this is his type, which I fully believe in five foot two i hate you because he's just like i need a tiny little lady yeah i uh, about five foot two brunette smart as a whip funny mostly sane will do loves kids tolerates hockey willing to learn pickleball um but i wrote in this uh i would bet one thousand dollars he finds this woman tomorrow
2: (laughs) Wrote down, I was like, he'll be married within the year. Within and the year. And they, he's
1: gonna have them lining up around the block thinking they can fix it. Even though he says I fault. can't be fixed.
2: No. Yes. Yes. Like he wrote a book where he wrote about thirty-five women that he treated terribly, and every yes. one, some woman is like, This only makes me want you more. Like if he had yes. only written about five bad relationships, maybe not. But because he wrote about five hundred, he is going to have women knocking the doors. Yeah, around. they're
1: the right. They're circling the building.
0: He he also writes like if they love me I don't want them. I only want the ones who don't want me. Like you will never win. The moment <laughs> you say yes to his proposal, he's going to fuck someone else. He will go fuck the plant in his yard with a view. <laughs> like it's not coming. And yeah, I think he's going to be very happy with a very short brunette soon. Who doesn't have I audience. mean Jenny, is it you? You are short.
2: <laughs> I am short.
1: I have a tall personality, but I'm very small. <laughs> <laughs> I um, am a petite brunette.
0: <laughs> you are. <laughs> Watch out. We'll guard you. Um, okay. Very end of the book. He writes, someday you two might be called upon to do something important. So be ready for it. And whenever that happens, just think, what would Batman do? And do that. The end. Wow.
1: I really missed every single one of these references.
2: I had missed all of them. So when I got to what would Batman do, I was so confused.
0: <laughs> I felt like I was I felt like the book was written to personally remind me of the worst people I'd ever taken. <laughs> oh my god. That is so
1: funny. Yeah, no, I don't think I think I just probably skipped over it.
0: That's incredible. I think this allowed us to have different experiences. I was living with Batman. Um, So, okay, you guys, it brings us to the the book deal test. Three questions. First question, was the author vulnerable? Did they share their truth?
1: Yes, obviously, yes.
0: 100%. And truly, truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all the price tags, Matthew Perry. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, question number two, was it entertaining to read? Very.
2: Yes, although I will say the beginning is like well-written and the end gets really repetitive.
0: I agree with that, but still give it a full-on, very entertaining. I was even hate reading it at times. I, <laughs> I, I still loved it. I loved it. Um, last question, did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Yeah, because I got to be on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and hang more, out with you and Ashley. <laughs> yeah, th- this actually is special, this hangout this of, is really of fun. us three.
2: My answer is more callous, but I feel like Matt Perry would appreciate it. I am working on a script with a character who's an alcoholic. So this was also my research. So it did elevate my life.
1: Yeah, I, I love mean, that. I have a whole show You're about good. it. Um, no, but this is the ugliest story I've ever heard in Al-Anon or anything. Like this is so intense. Like it, it's so- Yeah,
0: I think, I think, this book being so much about recovery, I am, um, I am disappointed that it, even if it's not his path, he didn't sort of put the path in there, you know, because it it mm-hmm. it is possible. It 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 maybe totally. is not happening for him, but it's possible.
2: I'll say, I think that book exists, and he's like, this book is for the people who think no one on the planet has gone through what I've gone through, and he's like, mm. somebody yes. has. And it's Chandler from Friends. I think it's a yeah, different. Purpose. I think that's
0: exactly right. Yep. Okay. Good point. I will say, I cannot say this book elevated my life. However, I will give it a deep thank you because at the end of the book, he really starts going crazy at the fact that he has written some screenplays and he <laughs> sent them out to A list actors. I'm almost positive one is Zach Efron, who. It is. It,
2: I think it was confirmed today.
0: Oh, okay. Knew it. Who take that's weeks who he's to respond? To hear from? That's who he's waiting to hear from? Yeah. When- yeah. Zach Efron was the A-list actor. and he, But it comes up several times. I am Matthew Perry. I am Chandler Bing. Why will no A-list actors attach to my screenplay? He even writes, I go to my agent. I say, hey, don't I at least have enough juice in me to make an independent movie? And his manager says, no. No. I don't think so. But I do have to say, like, if Matthew Perry can struggle to get a movie made... Uh, it, it really brought me, it's like this business is so hard and it's even hard for him. And I was yeah. like, this really is like, listen, yeah, if you can make a million dollars a week and and in 10 years be struggling to get Zac Efron to read your script, like this business is just as vicious as it feels.
2: Yeah, I love too. He starts like, he prayed to be famous. All his friends wanted to be famous yeah. so bad. Like those are things that people don't like to admit and it is really vulnerable to admit. But so many people we know live that way. And it's like, he is telling you, don't bother. You could be Chandler and you'll still be unhappy. And hopefully somebody gets that message, but nobody will, you know? But I appreciate <laughs> that he shared that.
0: Yeah. God, have I turned a corner on him? Do I maybe <laughs> hey, like babe. him as we leave the podcast? I think maybe You're also a brunette. No, I'm very I'm <laughs> I'm so tall. Oh, I'm I'm I would ruin his life if I just came in his circumference. Um, okay, you guys, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on this podcast.
1: Thank you it was so fun.
2: Yeah, I've got Sorry. a lot to process. <laughs> I've got to unpack this for like a week. <laughs> oh, I was like guys- pacing around my house reading it being like I need to have a conversation about this book. But you
0: guys, could this be any more fun? <laughs> 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 okay, thanks for coming on. Bye. <laughs> So I want to mention a podcast you may like. It's called Pop Pantheon. Every Thursday, DJ Louie is joined by pop critics and super fans to overanalyze all your favorite pop stars. They do super deep dives like we do, but we talk about books. They talk about icons like Beyonce all the way down to some lesser icons, and then they rank them in the official pop pantheon. And they have super iconic guests, too. The New Yorkers, Gia Tolentino, Keep It's Ira Madison III, Switched On Pops, Charlie Harding and Nate Sloan, and The New York Times, Joe Coscarelli. So they have so much going on over there. If you love pop culture, check out Pop Pantheon. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this week's episode. If you want more Celebrity Book Club in your life, become a member of our Patreon. We do one extra bonus episode a month for Patreon subscribers only. Click the link in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash Chelsea For $5 a month, you get all the bonus episodes. And on top of that, you let us know that you love this podcast. You want it to keep going. You want to support it. So go sign up. We also have a pay what you can option. We also do a private on Zoom book club once a month for the juiciest book we cover that month. So that's for the higher tiers if you're interested in that. Let's give a big shout out to our podcast producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. Um, Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Leave us a review and we will see you soon for another juicy book.